Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Paralegal Mastery Lounge podcast. Jacqueline Foster here. I'm very, very excited for you to be listening to today's episode and talking with Miss Rogo uh, Rogozinski, Melissa Rogozinski, uh, better known as Rogo, as you will hear in the podcast episode, who is a paralegal by trade turned entrepreneur. founder, owner of RPC Strategies LLC, which is a legal marketing and sales consulting firm whose team members are specialized and cross-trained in progressive strategies designed to drive revenue growth through brand awareness and thought leadership. And I'm I was actually pleasantly surprised as to the direction this podcast episode went. Um yes, we talk a lot about strategy in here, but also just a really genuine conversation between Rogo and myself. Um, one paralegal entrepreneur to another. We discussed some hardships that we may have faced in our business, in our lives, and how entrepreneurship, while it can be incredibly rewarding, is something you really have to think about if it's for you. Um, and so I thought that that was, that was a really interesting kind of pivot moment we had within this conversation and really helping you to identify and actually probably get even a little bit more excited about venturing off into paralegal entrepreneurship. As you know, I run the Paralegal Mastery Lounge. We have a private membership, which is now currently closed for enrollment, but definitely be sure to keep following us and stay updated on uh, future enrollment periods that will be opening in the in the nearest future here. Um, and we also have the Paralegal Mastery Lounge free membership on Facebook. So go ahead and find it. Um, also, I have everything linked up in the show notes. I have linked up how you can get connected with me, get into our Paralegal Mastery Lounge, as well as connect with Rogo and sort of continue to follow her journey in, in her paralegal entrepreneurship career. As always, if you enjoy today's episode or the podcast in general, I very much appreciate if you would leave us a rating. Um, We definitely want to keep growing this podcast and get it into the ears of more paralegals that want to achieve six figures in their career, whether that's through uh, entrepreneurship or employee development. So please, please be sure to leave us a rating if you do feel so compelled. And I hope you enjoy today's episode. So I do want to make the conversation as organic as possible and really just get to know you and understanding sort of your journey through your paralegal career and into the business that you own now. So would you mind just starting out by just talking a little bit about your story from kind of start of being a paralegal to where you're at today? Sure. Um, so my name is Melissa Rogozinski and most everyone calls me Rogo, uh, because of my last name, Rogozinski. And it really started when I was 14 years old in high school. And of all people, my English teacher started calling me Rogo because I was in Alabama and no one could pronounce Rogozinski <laughs> and it just stuck. And so, um, on the rare occasion that someone in legal refers to me by my first name, I almost have to do a double take myself because everybody knows me as Rogo. So it's it's kind of, Rogo is part of my brand, um, but I've been in law for 28 years. I was a litigation paralegal. Well, I, I, got the litiga- I got the paralegal technology degree in 1994, and then I graduated the top of my class, and I was picked up by a small uh, husband and wife firm that did personal injury, workers' comp, social security, bankruptcy, 
And uh, that was my first job and as a paralegal. And so during those 11 years, probably the first five or six, I went back and forth being a secretary, mostly doing some paralegal work. And then eventually I got into a true paralegal role. And most of my paralegal experiences in uh, defense litigation, uh, a lot of insurance defense. And um, one of the biggest cases I ever worked on was five cases that got consolidated for discovery. It was a construction defect case. And we represented one of the main five defendants. And as it grew and got consolidated, we ended up with something like 80 parties and 120 law firms. And I was I was on the phone with the plaintiff's paralegal on a daily basis because so much was happening and trying to keep, and every time somebody would get introduced into the case, they would get my name and they would call me. Eventually my, my bosses were like, if you want her time, you're gonna have to pay for for it uh, because she works for us right <laughs> and this was way before technology and so this was I was one of those paralegals I had a conference room with all of the documents all of the originals all of the duplicates I it was it was now it would seem like chaos because the technology we have to manage things like that but I knew where everything was and no one went into that conference room except for me because I knew where everything was. So if they wanted something, they, you know, I knew where it was. I knew where the copies were and the copies of the copies and, you know, what was different between the, you know, the copies and whatever. Um, so yeah, it was quite an experience. And then I, while I was a paralegal, I was going back to school full-time and uh, going to school. So both of my degrees, I worked full-time and I went to school at night. And I graduated with a 4.0 in both of my degrees. And my second degree is in communication management with a minor in marketing. So it was a lot like business psychology, the communication side of business psychology. And, um, and I ended up six months after I graduated, I ended up in a sales job. And I, that was the first time I tried to leave law. I really oh. thought I would leave, get a, get a you know, bachelor's degree and I was going to leave law. Um, because there were no growth opportunities. And I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I just knew that I needed room to grow. And so three different interviews happened. Two were outside of law. Those did not work out. But the one that did was in law. It was for a court reporting firm. And I, I remember sitting in a parking lot, having a conversation with God and looking up at the sky and making the comment to God, you really do have a sense of humor, don't you? You're not letting me leave law, are you? <laughs> and so that was the job I took in sales. And immediately my base salary was twice what I had ever made as a paralegal. And I just, I was baffled. I mean, I think that was the first time that I was introduced to the idea that I had a lot more value um, and it took me a while to accept that. And then commission checks started coming in mm. and, uh, you know, but learning as much as I understood about being a paralegal and litigation and how we use these products and services and learning to work with my sales manager, my other sales mates, my marketing department, it was an international company. Um, no, almost no one had any actual real experience in a law firm. And I did. So I was probably, you know, almost 20 years ago, one of the first people from a law firm setting that made a transition. And that allowed me to go to all of them and say, look, you know, you have this amazing product and service, um, but you're not promoting this correctly. Like you don't really understand your clients. And I used to be the client, right? 
And so we had multiple conversations about what that looked like. And we were able to evolve our marketing and sales strategy as a result. And it enabled me to be very successful in a highly competitive um, environment. And then in, I guess, 20, or I guess 2005, 2006, which is when I first started that job. But that's about the same time that the rules were changing about e-discovery, both on the federal level and then it was trickling down into the state level. And the company I worked for had, um, we got acquired um, by a fintech company who also acquired an e-discovery company. And so we had all these services that we had to learn to sell. And so I learned how to network with my colleagues that we all specialized in something. It wasn't possible to learn everything and be the expert at everything, but I learned how to network with my colleagues and we were able to help each other out. Um, and as the laws were being amended on the federal level and state about e-discovery and about technology and data privacy, cybersecurity, over time, I was in Alabama and no one was paying attention to Alabama. And you think, you think of Alabama, you think about Jesus and football, right? You're not yeah. really thinking about e-discovery, legal tech, right? right? And so I put a group, I was at a conference and a question came up about cost sharing and no one knew how to answer it. And one of the attorneys in the back of the room nudged me. And so I raised my hand really timidly and uh, it was a panel, it was a panel of judges. And so the presiding judge of Jefferson County, Judge Scott Val called on me and I introduced myself. This is who I am. And, you know, I think I have an answer to the question. I'm not trying to sell anything because I was a vendor at the time. And I said, I'm not trying to sell anything, but I think I have an answer to your question. And he looked at me, he is on clearly the complete opposite side of the room on stage on a panel I am all the way in the back row and there's like 80 lawyers in the room and he says loud to everybody honey if you've got an answer to this question you go ahead and sell anything you want to <laughs> and so I answered the question about cost sharing and e-discovery and that was the end of the conference and immediately after it everybody started coming up to me and like you know we need help we need and I told him I said we need education in our community and because I'm a vendor, here are the challenges I face, but I think we can, you know, come up with a solution. And he looked at me and he said, you put a group together and let them know I'm involved and I will help you educate Birmingham. And that statement changed my life. And I could not have known it then. It changed everything about the value that the community saw in me what I was destined to do and the trajectory of the rest of my career. And a year later, I contacted him and I was like, do you remember this conversation? He's like, yeah, of course I do. And I was like, well, it's time. Here's the conversations I'm having in law firms. And I said, we got to do something. So he called some of his colleagues. I called some of mine. And in November of 2009, we sat down for breakfast um, in a private dining room at a round table. And again, he's sitting across from me. And he said, Roga, tell them your idea. So I pitched the idea and it's, we've got a federal judge. We have a state court judge. We had um, plaintiff's lawyers, defense lawyers, big firms, small firms. We have, you know, paralegal lit support, you know, and then me as the vendor. So like every role in legal was represented at that table. And so I pitched the idea and it was so funny because a colleague of mine who was on that round table, she, she's a lawyer and she's like, and we had men and women, she's like, you're never going to get these lawyers to agree on a, on to doing something like you're never going to get them to come together. Well, we did. <laughs> and so we have this conversation and all these ideas were coming out and they're super excited. They're coming up with the ideas, the challenges that they're facing. 
you know, with their colleagues, with their adversaries in the courtroom and depositions, whatever. And so everything I needed was right there. And all I had to do was wrap an educational program around it. And my, the company I worked for at the time did all the marketing, paid for the lunches, you know, whatever. And, but it was at that table, that round table that I thought to myself, wow, this is kind of, I wonder if this is kind of like King Arthur and the Knights at the round table. And wow, I'm like, Queen Arthur, or, you know, whatever. And so that's actually where the name came from, the ESI Roundtable. And so we did that for a couple of years. Um, it was hugely, wildly successful. And, you know, I was still doing my sales job. So it was kind of something I, we were, it wasn't a business. We were just doing it, you know, for the community. And then a couple of years later in 2012, uh, my mom was diagnosed with a terminal condition. And, and this is public knowledge. Um, she was diagnosed with a terminal condition and we had all these programs plans. And it just got to the point where, and I had already changed jobs, um, I couldn't balance it all. And so at a program on social media, I made the comment that um, I needed to change directions and I really wasn't sure what was gonna happen. And I had so much overwhelming support from the community. Um, all the lawyers and judges who were part of the original round table, they each reached out to me, made an appointment with me. I met them at their offices. Um, and they each sat down on me and they said, look, you really have something here. And if you want to turn this into a business, we will help you. And it, that's how I got into business for myself. You know, it, it kind of this a little bit similar to your story. It wasn't like I was, I wasn't one of these entrepreneurs that sat there and thought through it. And it's like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur, <laughs> right? It was a force of circumstance, pretty epic level, catastrophic circumstances, so from 2012 to 2014, my mom was battling a terminal condition. Um, she did pass away. But at the same time, I got sick. And I have been healthy my whole life. Yeah. Um, and, you know, eat right, exercise right, take care of myself, never put, you know, bad things, you know, into my body that I shouldn't, you know, have. Um, and so the fact that I was getting sick was like, that totally came out of left field. Um, she had Parkinson's and heart disease. I had fibroid tumors and breast cancer all at the same time. Yeah. Wow. So that's being in business myself at that time was first by force of circumstance. And second, it was to facilitate her caregiving needs. And I never thought about how serious my own health issues were at the time. I scheduled surgeries like they were just another appointment on a calendar. Um, and I can remember more than once I had a roundtable program happening and the very next day I was going into surgery or one time I did a program in Miami. I had a Miami round table and they were like, this was the day of my mastectomy, December 17th, 2013, maybe. Yeah. And they were like, well, we'll cancel the program. We can do it at the time. I was like, oh, no, you won't. <laughs> no, you won't. We're going to have this program. I'm, I orchestrated it with the technical team at the law firm in Miami. It was Greenberg Trarig at the time. Uh, and my friend, shout out to Danette Schaefer. She helped orchestrate all of it. And she now is an entrepreneur as of a year ago, and I'm mentoring her as well. So yay, women entrepreneurs and legal. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I had an assistant. I taught her how to do the webinar. I made sure the vendor and the attendees that everybody was taken care of. Then I packed a snack bag for all my friends and my mom who were going to the hospital with me. I also made a casserole dinner for the person who was staying with me for you know several days after the surgery. I made sure everybody was taken care of. I would not let them cancel that program before I went in to have a mastectomy and have cancer removed from my body. Wow. <laughs> I, I promise you, Jacqueline, it took me, what year is this? We're, we're going on 10 years. Um, 
it took me about seven or eight years after that to actually think through that and realize just how bad shit crazy that was right right pushing yourself and, hard yep but you don't you just don't think about it you know it's when you're an entrepreneur you're if you're truly cut out to be an entrepreneur it's just a different personality and we face challenges we face ups and downs and those downs are the down cycles and those downs can be really hard that crash and burn is hard and it hurts but it doesn't matter. I don't really know how to explain what it is in us that just, it is a force and an existence, an alter ego that is bigger and stronger and burns harder than we do. And yes. it will push and fight through and be damned if it won't pick you back up by your bootstraps Yep. And force you back up that mountain. Right. It's I I always say that to my husband too, because we're both in the business ownership space. He has a business. I have a business. And you know, I've talked to him a lot about that in the past of like you almost have to be like not totally mentally stable. <laughs> Insane. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> right. But when so many people tell you know there was a place like, that brought you and I together. Yep. Yes. There was yeah. a post that brought you and I together and now you, you know, tag some other things. There was a post I put out on a Friday about the ups and downs of entrepreneurship and a good colleague of mine, who's a private equity partner. Um, he, you know, he said, this is why I love entrepreneurs. And he put hashtag resilience. And I thought, no, it's hashtag insanity. Insanity. <laughs> but, but that's the thing about it is, and I don't like to sit here and, and pitch. Cause I mean, what you just talked about, you know, about with your personal struggles that you were overcoming and how in a way your business and your drive kept you fighting on a multitude of levels um, to care for yourself and to keep yourself moving forward during, I mean, my mom had breast cancer. I watched her go through that. Um, you know, it's, it's a really difficult, and plus what you were going through with your mom, it, it pushes you through, but it's like, you know, we're going through some of the toughest times in my career at that I have seen personally at my age and my career um, in the economy and, and dealing with business. And I hate to be the person that says there's no reward without struggle and there's no reward without pain um, because I don't want to scare people away and, and have them think like, oh, I got to get up every single day and bust and grind until I'm blue in the face and there's dirt under my nails and blood, sweat and tears are put into it. But when we're talking about building our paralegal careers from like you were saying, when you started that career and there was no room for growth, you felt there was no room for growth working in the law firm setting to then really specializing and becoming an industry expert in your industry and pushing through none of that and leading a person into six figures and leading a person into, you know, right now we're um, not to go down rabbit hole, but right now we're recruiting a company right now for a um, sort of like a CFO controller, but they're very adamant, like has to have legal background plus all of that. And so that particular individual that's going to make that 180, 220 plus salary that they're offering out there has had to push themselves in the way of, um, I don't even know the right word for it, struggle a little bit and, and have that failure feeling and have that 
uncertainty and I'm going down this avenue, whether that's through your career and you're going back to school or you're developing a new skill or you decide to leap in and start that business, it's never going to just be, oh, I know exactly what I'm doing and everything's going great and nothing around me is struggle. <laughs> you know what I, I'm kind of trying to say is that like to get that reward of being a high, high earner in the legal industry, you really have to push yourself into uncomfortable situations. Just we've been going back to you raising your hand in a room full of attorneys and lawyer or uh, judges like that, pushing through that fear and getting that started. If you're, if you're a non-lawyer, who does that? Right, right. You know? But you're right. Like if, if you want, it is hard work, whether you're an entrepreneur or not, but if you want a higher income, um, there's a responsibility that comes with that. And there is a lot of expectation that comes with that. And so that's, you have to be, you want the higher income. Well, you've got to be willing to be exposed. You've got to be willing to take on more responsibility, more risk, more liability. And it's the more you make, the more that's going to increase. And it's always going to be the case. Absolutely. It is not, you know, and, you know, there throughout my entire career, and this will resonate with a lot of women, I, I have never been that woman that beats my chest. I don't get on that bandwagon, but I have certainly been attacked my entire career for being ambitious. And right. I absolutely, 30 years into this, I know who I am. I know the direction I'm going and I still face the same challenges. Um, I just understand those challenges and myself a whole lot better. And I've got more experience and time under my belt to understand how to develop. And look, you know, even so much as recently, I faced a challenge that again, buckled me at my knees, you know, but I'm surrounded by a good team that, you know, they were like, look, we support you, but we're not giving up on you. And I've got, now I've got a whole army of other entrepreneur friends in legal. Um, a lot of them are women. And, um, and everybody's like, you know, you're, you're at that point, like you're past the point of no return. So like, it's, we can see it. We've already been there, you know, and it's, but yeah, I mean, if you want to make, look, if you're happy being a paralegal, be happy being a paralegal, be very happy with that and embrace that and absolutely learn all of the technology that you can, you know, stay on top of that, you know, stay connected with thought leaders, attend, you know, webinars, attend programs, ask the law firm to pay for you to go to certain conferences, you know, um, really get that knowledge and learn how to practically apply that. Um, but if you're also cut out to be an entrepreneur on that, and I see kind of what, what you're doing too, and it's an interesting model. It's not just staffing and recruiting. You're also training other paralegals to strike out on their own and be their own entrepreneurs. And, um, you know, technology is where it's at technology, learning technology and embracing that and being able to apply that, you know, I didn't realize it 20 years ago when I did that. I, I know it now. And now it's all we see. But if you want to be more valuable and make more money, there's a responsibility that comes with that. You have to invest in yourself, but there's a lot that's going to be expected of you. And so you need to answer the question first, if you're willing to take on that responsibility and if you're willing to take on that exposure and take on that risk. Um, but yeah, the rewards are great, you know, and that's another reason that kind of catapulted this conversation between you and me, because in this moment right now, you and I, we have, oh my God, the, the ups and downs and, but you and I right now are both sitting in our dream home. Right. And both of us are making exponentially more money 
as we ever did a pre-Olympic, even in the down cycle of this economy. We are both making more money than we ever did as a paralegal. Right, exactly. And that's the 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 myth I always like to bust is that entrepreneurship, I personally don't think that there's any less security, job security, income security in owning your own business and being an entrepreneur than there is in going and working as an employee for somebody. Because the difference is, is you're in charge of that business's health versus the person employing you is in charge of that business's health to keep you employed. So it's one way or the other, you're looking at it, we're working in business. Um, but I really want to take a moment quick and understand a little bit more about what you're doing right now with your business. So explain, you know, kind of your company and what you guys provide and um, how you've grown the company, um, you know, what your team looks like and, and all of that. Sure. So, um, I mean, the fact that I landed here makes absolutely no sense from being a secretary 30 years ago. Um, but so RPC strategy is a marketing and sales consulting firm. So when I had the round table and it turned into a business, like I said, I, I really looked at it more as a means to an end to help take care of my mom and me try to earn an income while we were dealing with our um, health issues and, you know, having that flexibility. And, but one thing led to another. And so in 2014, she passed away. 2012 is when I started the round table as a business. It already existed, you know, for a few years prior to that. Um, so we kind of proved the model. Um, and so from 2012 to 2016, it was a business. And in 2016, after my mom had passed away and I was finally done with my cancer surgeries, I just needed to take a step back. So I took a little bit of a professional sabbatical and um, I actually, about a year later, I ended up with um, a full-time job at a fintech company and, um, you know, try to strike. They, they wanted to bring their technology in front of um, legal tech. So they hired me to help them do that. And it was more of a marketing role based on having built an education company. And then a year into that, you know, that was about a year long contract. And then I ended up launching RPC Strategies because... I started having law firms and legal tech vendors reach out and you know ask for my help with, hey, can you help my lawyers with their LinkedIn profile? Hey, can you help me with my legal tech? Can you help me do for my company what you did for the round table? And what they were asking about was my DIY marketing. So I'm really a sales personality. And I would say that the underlying skill set that I have between being a paralegal understanding marketing and sales is my organizational skills as a paralegal. So as a paralegal, we're able to keep track of so many different cases and files and people and parties and opposing counsel um, and, and multiple moving parts. And it's our job as paralegals to keep up with all of the long-tailed cats in a room full of rocking chairs in an organized fashion and make sure that, you know, deadlines don't get missed. Everything gets met. You know, if adjustments need to be made, you know, we get those adjustments made and we also track it and we document it, right? So we're responsible for keeping up with everything. Um, and those organizational skills, those are transferable. So two things that we're talking about, wrap yourself all around technology and learn technology but also lean heavily on your organizational skills because learning technology and really relying on your organizational skills and you have to promote yourself with those two skill sets 
that is what will catapult your career, whether you stay in law or do something else. But if you want to make more money, capitalize on those technology and organizational skills. Um, and so that's how I ended up starting RPC strategies was people started asking for my help. And so over the last four years, we have evolved and developed. Um, and it's 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 a 1099. So everybody's a consultant. Um, no one here is full time, but we're we're full service marketing and sales consulting company. I refer to it as growth strategies because it's marketing that leads to sales. So we do foundational marketing. It's all organic. It's B2B. You know, it's the long haul. But everything that we do is designed to build a path to revenue generation. Um, and then at the higher level, I get back involved in the sales coaching and process with process and operations with our clients. So um, that's how RPC strategies and people ask, you know, what's RPC stand for? RPC stands for Rising Phoenix Consulting, because when I shut down the round table to finally take that sabbatical, and I put out an email and just story about it, about, you know, what happened with my mom and me. And I still, she was gone, but I still had cancer to deal with. And um, I had found a video clip on YouTube of Dylan Thomas reading the poem, do not go gentle into that good night. And so he wrote that poem for his dad the, the night before his own father passed, passed away. And his father was ready to go, but Dylan Thomas was not ready to go. And so basically the poem was, Dylan's plea to his father, please keep fighting. Don't let go so easily. And um, that was how I saw letting go of the round table. It was really, really difficult. It was very emotional. And so I put this nice letter in an email about, you know, what had happened to mom and me, how much support I had received from the round table community, how thankful I was that I, I, at that point, I'd already surpassed anything I thought I was capable of as a professional. Um, and it was because of that. But Nonetheless, I was not done with my cancer journey. And so I needed to take a step back and, you know, focus on my own health. And I was not going gently into that decision. And so I put this, a link to this video in there and I sent out this campaign. And I had, I think at the time, maybe 50,000 contacts in my database. Wow. And within 20 minutes, I had to walk away from the computer because I was in, total tears. I had hundreds of emails from people, many I have never met and didn't know, but who had been following what we were doing around table, the education, you know, things like that. And just, um, it, there was so much support. It's, it's when you're marketing yourself or you're doing something like that, you know, for the, for the good of the whole and, um, you're doing it, you know, selflessly. I mean, I still enjoy what I'm doing. I'm trying to make, you know, money, right. But, when you're doing that, when you when you're found when you found something, you're doing something like that to help other people, or you're branding yourself on LinkedIn and you're engaging, you have no idea who's watching. You just don't know until they reach out to you privately. And I had to walk away from my computer <laughs> because I, I just was crying too much. But all the support and the emails were coming in. And a few of the emails said, We hope to see the Phoenix rise again. Oh. And so years later, when RPC, I had an opportunity to start RPC, I named RPC after the clients. That's amazing. So, consulting. What a story. That's like, I got chills at the end as I hope to see the Phoenix rise again. That's, so that's that is beautiful. Your podcast. <laughs> yeah, your branding is beautiful. And so do you just focus on 
like marketing and stuff with law firms or do you do a multitude of companies? We specialize and our framework is B2B and we specialize with legal technology um, providers, okay. technology providers, um, law firms, but we really focus on the small to midsize and boutique okay. uh, of both that because we're full service, but we're not full time, we're fractional. And so where they might not have, usually it's firms that don't have the money to hire a full-time person in marketing and definitely not a full-time staff and they, but they need that support. Well, we can do it at a fraction of the cost and they're going to get, you know, they're going to get a client success manager, a content writer, um, project manager, uh, graphic designer, um, an ops person that, you know, does the technology, the tech stack and the integrations, but also does our email campaigns um, and me, and it's an entire strategy. Right. And so it's a fraction of the cost. You're getting an entire marketing, you know, growth strategy department. Um, and so that's, then it's a very affordable price. It's good for them. It's good for us. And, um, and I've actually got investors that send us business too. So we are, we've got a product that we've developed for investors as well. So when they're taking a look at making an investment potentially in technology, um, they can, investors can reach out to RPC as well, and we can do an audit, um, and some other reporting to help them take a look at the growth strategies that their acquisition has to determine, you know, when an acquisition comes and says, Hey, we're making this much money. And with your investment, we can do this. Well, there's a gap between those two points. Well, what's the strategy that's going to get them from where they are to where they say they can be with your investment. And there's a gap and we can fill that gap with our audit. So we work with small to midsize um, legal technology service um, and product providers. We work with boutique law firms and we work with venture capital investors. Wow, that's amazing. And it sounds so high end. I don't it's, it's a lot of like, sounds very high end. Like excited. That's super cool. And it's just like coming full circle and everything you've done in your career from being in the paralegal seat in the litigation, the receptionist, the secretary, all those roles to continuing your education, getting into the elect, the e-discovery, understanding all that to then just having attention from tech companies and, and creating this company around that, that journey is just so, so cool. And I think it's really important for the listeners, the followers, the people that are in the paralegal mastery lounges, like that's what I push a lot is specialize and niche yourself, niche yourself, however you want to say it, so that you can become the industry leader. Um, it's so easy for us to say, like, we want to specialize in 8 million different things in our companies. But I mean, even like my specialty, you know, even though we do all types of um, practice areas and states and, and that, like geographically, we're all over the place, but what we focus on is like growth strategies, um, stepping stone staffing, like getting our clients from this bottom line to that bottom line and staffing in between. And then we just recently added in the full-time recruiting this last year to be able, cause my clients were all growing us, you know? So we start learning that, that they're all growing your fractional support and they need that full-time employee at that point. You know, so that's where I found my my niche and I found my specialization was in the growth strategy as it relates to staffing a law firm um, on its most basic and most advanced level. So it's, you know, it's the niche, the niching and the specializing and becoming that industry expert. I just published a blog on that actually today um, to, to, to get, and like you said, put in the time, put in your, you have to, 
Everybody I have talked to on this podcast that makes in the six figures as a paralegal or a paralegal by trade or started there has invested their own time into developing themselves. The people that will never reach those six figures and beyond refuse to do that with the mentality of I'm not investing any more into my employer than what they're giving me in money, right? So it's like trying to break them out of that mentality and say, you have to listen to podcasts, attend webinars, read books, learn different technology, learn different skill sets um, on your own time. Sometimes, sometimes you're, you can't wait for your employees to see your value and, or your potential and, and, and fund it, you know, so that that's really unique. And you just confirm all of that. (laughs) You have to, you have to, you have to, you have to invest in yourself. You have to learn, you have to evolve. Um, You have to continuously pitch your capabilities. You have to ask for new opportunities and new projects. Um, You have to push so far past your own boundaries of fear and imposter syndrome. You know, we talked about that on some of our LinkedIn posts too, like, um, because the hierarchy of having been in certain roles um, limits us. And so fear and imposter syndrome is very real. Um, And it's not easy to push through those things on your own. You have to have a network of colleagues um, to talk to. And and you also have to give yourself grace and you have to forgive yourself and understand that you're human. You're going to be afraid. You're going to fall. You're going to freak out. Um, You're going to want to quit more than once, more than twice, more than half a dozen times at least. Um, But just know that you're committed to the path that you're on. And um, it's, it's the most amazing journey. And to be where I am now, I knew in 20, let's say 2009, when we had that conversation at the, the round table at breakfast, that very first conversation after Judge Val and I talked a year prior, and when we're sitting down at breakfast and when they got through talking about all their ideas and then Judge Val looked at me again across the table and he said, okay, Rogo, what do we do next? I knew in that moment that as a secretary, as a paralegal, I still thought, saw myself that way, but they didn't. They saw me as an equal. They saw me as They wanted me and they needed me. And I understood at that moment that I was being given a platform. I was being given a stage and it was my choice. I didn't know what it would take. I knew it wouldn't be an easy path, but I knew that I was being given a platform and a stage. And if I said yes, that I would always have that platform and stage to leverage my own path to help others carve there. I could burn the path. I could cut, I could cut it down. I could blaze it out and I could create a path for others. And that was a choice I made. I could never, ever, ever have known how difficult it was. If anybody had ever sat down and said, okay, well, before you say yes, let me just show you what the next 10 years looks like. Are you sure you want to do this? Um, It's a probably a really good thing that nobody ever sat me down and said hey here's what your next 10 years is going to look like um because I don't know that I would have chosen that but I know for certain and I have lost everything through all those things I went through 
I did actually lose everything. I lost my family. I lost my health. I lost my financial ability. I, I lost, I had severe PTSD and short-term um, brain damage from all the number of times I've been under anesthesia. It was too much in a short amount of time. And I had short-term brain damage um, for about two and a half years and I, I couldn't work. Um, and I, I am single. I did. And I don't have children. I had no one to help. My best friend was the only person who was available to help take care of me um, financially. Um, so I did actually go through a phase where I was unemployed for 13 months. I was homeless, couching for 10 months in a place in a state that I didn't know anybody. Um, and I am four years post-bankruptcy. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm sitting here today in my dream apartment, my two bedroom, two bath with a den, 20th floor, floor to ceiling, glass windows in every room, panoramic view of the Atlantic Ocean. And I am on the path, even in a down economic cycle, to make at least eight times that I ever did as a paralegal. Right. And more than twice as I ever did in a sales role for somebody else. Yeah, exactly. Why would I give that to somebody else to build their company? And look, if you don't have the entrepreneurial fire or spirit, don't force it. Don't right. do that. It's okay. Be who you are and be amazing at that. Be the absolute best that you can be at that and drive that and stay in that lane because guess what? You're needed there too. Yes. But if you have this fire and this passion and it is something in you that is restless and won't stop and won't give up and will even fight you to get out of your own way you might be an entrepreneur yep i had to learn well first of all i want to touch just real quick on your comment about you know if you would have saw what you've gone through over the 10 years if you would have done it and this and that i i don't necessarily have these beliefs but i remember reading this once a, a celtic there's a celtic belief out there that before we come down to earth, we are able to pre-design our life and we choose it, right? And we don't have any memory of this, but we pre-design our life. And it's one of those, well, you can't just have all good. You have to pick the struggles that you'll go with, go through to get to this good outcome. And so we're given the options of saying, these are the challenges you're going to go through. And these are the struggles you're going to have. And then this will be the outcome for you at the end, if you get through it and you persevere and, and buckle down and just keep, keep pushing. And I always loved that mentality because sometimes when things get really, really hard, you know, I think about, I, I asked for this, I designed this because there is going to be something good coming out of it at the end. And I, I, I try to keep that belief, whether it's true or not, I like it. It's a, it's a good, <laughs> it's a good uh, way to get through tough times. And, um, and then to your point on the entrepreneurial, like fire and things of that nature, I remember early on in my entrepreneur career back in 2020, I had to, within that first year, really learn I call them the entrepreneurial jitters. And it's one of those where I would say, I'm sick of waking up every morning thinking everything is going to crash and burn today, that I'm going to lose everything. I'm going to lose my progress. I'm going to lose my reputation, my clients, um, et cetera, et cetera. Or I'm going to get sued today or, you know, something outrageous. I'd have those fears and I, I've learned to be at peace with them and accept them and not look at them as like, this is a fear of failure or it's a fear of 
not reaching my full potential. And that, that fear is really important to have because that's what keeps you driving. That fear of not reaching your full potential keeps you driving every day. Um, and so when I had to flip that too, with, with the, the business side of things, and, you know, obviously we all have personal things that go on in the background, um, of the journey. And like you were, I, that's why I think you and I resonate a lot too, because, you know, going from having fear of, we were almost going to lose our house. I had $200 in the checking account. We were overdrafting every month. I had a baby at home. I have a stepdaughter. Um, now he's going to, he's starting pre-K this year. It's unreal to, we built our dream house from the ground up over the last year. And, and just to, to look back and say, had I not pushed through those fears, pushed through imposter syndrome, pushed through X, Y, Z, we might still be in that position of going to lose our house, barely making grocery bills, um, all of those things. So it's definitely worth it. If you commit to the journey, I, I, I'm I'm glad that you just gave that whole list off because I have gone through that. I've gone through that. I've had two cycles of that now. And all of the entrepreneurs in my life, they're like, I hear you. I support whatever decision you make, but let me tell you where you are because you are so far past where you think you are. And, you know, they're all seven, 10 years into it, which is any, everything you read about being a startup, it's, it's, if you can make it to the first four or five years, you're probably going to be successful, but seven to 10 years is where it really becomes a business. And you think to yourself, oh my God, that's so long. How am I going to ever yeah. get through that? And but the matter is you and I both here four years, we're looking at five in the face. Like it's, we've got the hardest part under our belt, but absolutely. I've gone through all that. They've gone all through it. And I'm sitting here listening to you. I was like, oh, thank God she's saying that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They all, all gone through that. Um, but it's, you know what? When it's good, it's good. I like making money. I I do too. I love I, love doing that. I was going to make this kind of money else and as another employer. I was never going to make this. I was right. never going to be able to have this kind of freedom. You know, but there's risk that comes with it, you know? And right. but the thing, like I got to that point about two months ago where, and, you know, I'm a Christian and I was praying about it. And there's some scripture um, that says, uh, let me see, I've, I've saved it. I've Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Um, now I don't shove it down everybody's throat. And this is honestly the first time in my entire career that I've ever done this on a recorded you know, interview. Um, but I prayed about that and it finally settled in. And I have had that unwavering peace that surpasses all understanding for the last two months. And, and I, I, I believe it's permanent. I believe I've turned that corner. Um, I still, like I said, at the beginning of this interview, I'm still facing the same challenges. And as long as we have a business, we're always going to face those challenges are never going to go away. No. We're better equipped. To and I'm just, and I'm sitting here, um, and I don't think I told you this, uh, I'm turning 50 in four days <laughs> and I am so glad to have reached that place at 50 that I, I'm just not spending the energy to worry anymore. I've got that energy back and I can put that energy into my business to grow clients, to, you know, secure new clients, to help them grow you know, to think clearly, execute strategies, you know, help make them successful. Um, and, 
yeah, I'm just, the energy resources are there. It's just, where are you spending them? Oh, absolutely. And that takes time too. And you know, it's that thing of what got you through year one, won't get you through year three, won't get you through year five, won't get you through. And I'm learning that wholeheartedly. We're almost done with our uh, 21, 20, our fourth year in business. Yep. And you started in 2019 and so did I, I saw that. Oh yeah. 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 Yep. So we're getting through, well, I started my freelancing in, in 1819, but like actually starting the business I have that has evolved um, into what it is today. I would say when I made that shift into more of agency model, um, it was 2020, March of 2020. So went through 2020, 21, 22, and now we're going through 23. And I will say third year three has been the hardest one yet <laughs> or year four, excuse me, like going three to four. Um, and you know, and the statistics on if a business is going to survive goes down and down every year until you get past that threshold. And I think truly why is people just give up and it's very, and I think the message too is, you know, if, if any of your listeners strike out on their own or they already have and they give up at any point, don't beat yourself up for that. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with you. It's, it's okay. If it's too hard, it's okay. If it's not for you, it's okay. If you're like, you know what? I'm just tired. I don't want to. I just want to let somebody else pay me to do this. And I'm fine with that. That's fine too. Absolutely. God knows. I, I in twice, both down cycles, I've had those opportunities come up. I've had opportunities that others were pursuing me. And, you know, if it comes at a down cycle, yeah, I took a serious look at it. Absolutely. I took a serious look at it. Yes. Um, you know, but on the other side of it, like there's still that fire and it's like, nah, I want to make my own money. Exactly. And then as you start to have freedom to do whatever you want to do without putting in a request for PTO or, you know, I'm sick today. I got those types of things that that'll never get old for me. And that's why it's like, I don't know if I could ever go work for somebody else again for that reason, because I've percent equity. Same. Yep. Yep. And I plan to, as long as it makes sense to. Yeah. I like owning and, and having it be my baby. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome evolution. And, you know, as a salesperson, I have mapped out goals and, you know, we're on the entrepreneur operating system. I don't know if you've ever heard of the book Traction. It's one of my favorite business books. Mm-hmm. And so we're on the entrepreneur operating system. And part of that is to, you know, it's kind of a sales model, but it helps to plan out your vision and your traction, but your vision, not only who you are as a company, um, but also what your revenue goals are and what it's going to take to get there. And it helps you back it up down into 90 day increments. Oh, wow. um, and so I've done, yeah, it's, it's a really great tool. I've done that, and, that up too. It's called traction. Yeah. It's an entrepreneur operating system. Um, and I've got a CFO on my advisory board who has been able to create these amazing, beautiful Excel workbooks. Where we can just plug in numbers and all these things calculate for themselves. Um, and I can see that on a monthly basis, you know, the ups and downs. And if we're going to hit that goal and as a salesperson in any organization, like you've always got those goals. It's a lot of pressure. And through the most recent down cycle, it was part of the thing that was stressing me out. It's like, I'm not going to hit my goal. I, I'm There's no way I'm going to hit that goal now. Like, wow, I was on track and it was going to be fine. And I, I'm just not like, and one of, I had to unwind from several things through the most recent down cycle. And I feel like I have from all of them. And one of the things I had to unwind was, I was putting too much pressure on myself to hit a certain revenue goal because I had a larger goal for that. 
I had a larger goal that a few years down the road, I want to set my company up to be acquired. And there's a certain number I have in mind that I've talked to other colleagues about. I have to hit this number in X number of years in order to be acquired. And one of the things I had to do was unwind from that. And it's like, why do you want that goal? Why are you putting that kind of pressure on yourself? Can you just be happy where you're at and just build this? And you've been very happy to get at a certain income level, which is more than I've ever made working for anybody else ever. Yep. And I can still do more, but, and I found that place of comfort and I balanced myself. And so, you know, going back to what you've said several times now, there's just a constant evolution. You know, if you're, if you're an entrepreneur and you're staying the course, you're just going to constantly change your goals. You're going to constantly change your service offering. You're going to constantly change your knowledge set. Um, it's a constant evolution. And I agree with what you said earlier too, whether you're an employee employee or you're an entrepreneur, I'm, I've been, I'm on the same page with you. I don't think there's any less or more job security on either side of that fence. I wholeheartedly agree with you. There is no more job security being an employee as there is being an entrepreneur because right. at the beginning of this year, last year, we, it was, an, it was an employee's market. Yep. Employees were getting so many offers at so many high levels. Um, but that was a bubble that was bound to burst. It had never happened before and it burst and it burst the first of this year. And we've seen a ton of our friends who are employees getting laid off for much longer durations than they ever planned on it. You know, but we've also seen businesses take hits too. the businesses they worked for, you know, clients I've had um, and they have to pivot. And, you know, we've taken hits before too, but it's a cycle. It hit everybody. It hit employees. It hit business owners. Multiple industries. Yep. Yeah. And guess what? Business owners are the ones that are employing employees. <laughs> and employees Correct. <laughs> right? So it, it, it just, it hit everybody. It's just a matter of when it hit the employees first. Then it hit the businesses. Right. Right. Exactly. So it's, yep. it, I don't, I agree with you. I don't think being, whether you choose to be an employee or choose to be an entrepreneur, I don't think either one is more safe or secure than the other. No. It's simply the path you choose and the reasons you choose it and how you're going to get there. Absolutely. Well, and taking that self-initiative and, and like we said, I mean, this whole conversation has been a huge theme on pushing through, persevering, pivoting, figuring out, you know, where, where you need to take yourself or the company where you want to specialize and, and just getting really real. I think at the end of the day to kind of wrap this up is getting really real that pressure makes diamonds, right? So we, we have to put ourselves in, in situations where we're potentially uncomfortable, whether that's as employee growth or entrepreneur business growth, we always need to be seeking that feeling of uncomfortable um, because that's how we know we're growing and we're developing, right? So Rogo, this has been an amazing conversation. I can I call you Rogo now? Or are we? <laughs> oh, call me Rogo. Yes, you can call me Rogo. Right. It's been an amazing conversation, and I'm so so very thankful that our uh, paths crossed. And I hope to, um, you know, have you on again at some point and and do a touch point episode because it's been amazing. I, I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. I was really looking forward to this. Thank you for inviting me. I'm happy to be a part of this Absolutely. and supporting your female entrepreneur in law.
Thank you. Uh, yes, yes. And so if anybody wants to connect with Rogo, I'm going to link up her uh, LinkedIn, her website, things like that in the show notes. So you can go follow her and see what she's doing. Um, otherwise, thank you so much for listening today and have a great rest of your week. Have a fantastic week, Jacqueline. All right. Bye. Thanks, Rogo. Bye. Thank you again so much for listening today and be sure to make sure you've subscribed to this podcast. Leave us a rating. Again, it is so appreciated and always feel free to reach out to me directly if you have any topics in mind that you would like us to cover. Um, Also be sure to be following us in the Facebook and LinkedIn group because obviously we do these webinars, um, webinars every couple of weeks. They eventually make it to the podcast, but if you'd like to be watching the webinars and participating in the webinars in real time so you can ask your direct questions, that would be the place to go. And as always, thank you so much for your support and continuing to participate in Paralegal Mastery Lounge. Be sure to be on the lookout for when our enrollment period opens up again. Right now in the private membership, we are driving our paralegals into entrepreneurship and driving them into six-figure careers, as well as guiding those who want six figures but don't necessarily want to go the entrepreneurship route in helping them navigate the holistic approach to career development for getting ready for those high, high paying paralegal jobs, whether on site, remote, the best of the best jobs out there. So be sure to keep following and get ready to join when the enrollment period opens back up. Thank you so much and see you next week.